Well, good morning. Psalm 92 this morning as we continue our series on the heart of worship, looking at what it means to be a devoted, energetic, enthusiastic worshiper of God. God's son, Jesus, even said that the Father was looking for true worshipers, those who were willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. The Old Testament tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are totally devoted to him. God is always looking for true, sincere, genuine worshipers, which implies that there is a lot of false worship and false worshipers out there. And so we're looking at what it means to be a true worshiper of God because God not only tells us in his word, the Bible, that we should worship him, but how to worship him. And this morning in Psalm 92, I want us to look at three things from this psalm. First of all, we're going to see that worship is good for us. Secondly, that worship grounds us. And finally, that worship grows us. Before we actually get into the psalm this morning, I want you to look again at the superscription over the psalm before it even begins in verse 1. This is called a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. couple things. Let's be reminded that the word psalm, that which is the largest book of the Bible, 150 psalms, literally mean to sing praises to God with instruments. In fact, even throughout this psalm, notice some of the ways we can worship God and sing praises to him with instruments. The very first verse, to thank the Lord. Verse 1, to sing praises to your name. Verse 2, to proclaim your loyal love. Verse 4, to sing for joy because of what you've done. And finally in verse 15, so they proclaim that the Lord is their protector. Over and over again, God says, let me tell you one way to worship me, and that is to sing praises with instruments, which is one of the things that we do and many other churches do and many other Christians do. It is part of being a worshiper of God. But you'll notice something very unique about this psalm, and this actually struck me. I did not realize this till I was preparing for this message many months ago, that you'll notice that this is a song for the Sabbath day. In other words, very specifically, this song was written for the worshipers of Jehovah in the Old Testament time as they gathered on Saturday, the Sabbath day. And the reason I say that's unique is it's the only one of the 150 psalms that is literally designated for the Sabbath day. I found that interesting. But here's the deal. Even though the other songs are not designated for the Sabbath day, obviously they were part of the worship of God in the house of God with the people of God. It was just sort of, you know, taken for granted that everyone knew that. And the thing that you and I need to then be reminded of is that God designed both in the Old Testament economy by setting aside the Sabbath where we worship him as creator 
And then in the New Testament, where the church, this newly formed you know, community of believers was started and they started worshiping God on Sunday, the day that we still do today, to commemorate and celebrate both the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his victory over death and hell and everything else and to come together to celebrate not only him as creator but as our Savior. And so it is a reminder that God is looking for people who, first of all, are willing to pause during their week to do two things, to rest, which was part of also the Old Testament Sabbath, and to rejoice. And God has always said to his people, take one and seven, take one and seven, to pause during your life and to rest and to rejoice in me. Now, the reason I want to point out, that out today is that many even Christians or those who say they're Christians do not adhere to that principle. They do not take time in their life to ever pause. Their life is the same every day of the week. They run, 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 and Sunday is just another day to do everything that I do Monday through Saturday. And we do not pause both to rest physically, but also to fill ourselves up spiritually. And our soul and our spirits get very, very depleted. And we pay the price physically, emotionally, and spiritually when we don't listen to the wisdom of God to pause one in seven, dedicate a day to not only rest, but to rejoice in him and to literally take the day, is in a sense, for him and not allow anything else to interfere with that. And again, many, many human beings are paying the price in many different ways because... We're not pausing. We're not resting. In fact, forget Christians. Most human beings today don't even know anymore how to relax and rest. And then we wonder why we keep going at supersonic speed, why our bodies physically, emotionally, and spiritually not only begin to get depleted, but begin to break down. So I thought it's very important that as we talk about worshiping the Lord that we realize that one of the aspects of worship is to be willing to pause every week and to rest and rejoice in the Lord. But you'll notice here in the first four verses of Psalm 92, the psalmist says, and we don't know who the author is, he, he or she is unnamed, they say that worship is good for us. In fact, the word fitting, both in verse 1 and in verse 2, translated in the Net Bible, could also in the Hebrew be translated good. He's simply saying, it's good to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Sovereign One. It is good to proclaim your loyal love in the morning and your faithfulness during the night. It's fitting. It's good. It's good for us to worship the Lord. Let me share a couple reasons why it's good for us. First of all, worship awakens us to God. 
You see, as we go through our week and we go through our days, we can start to develop almost like a scale. Uh, things can get cloudy. We can even get to sort of a place of, of spiritual malaise and, and just sort of uh, being a little callous towards God and, and not spiritually sensitive. And, and we're not really listening for God or hearing him or we're not really seeing him. And what worship does is it, it sort of, again, awakens us to God and awakens us to the reality of God and to wanting to experience God and encounter God and engage with God and be able to hear him again as he speaks to us and be, begin to see him as he manifests himself in our presence. That's one of the reasons why worship is good for us. Another reason is, is it fills us. As I said earlier, as human beings, even as followers of Jesus Christ out there in the world, whether it's, you know, going to school, holding down a job in our communities with all of the responsibilities we have, we can throughout the week, we can get very depleted and we can get very drained. You and I all know that. You know, unless you work or go to school or live in a community where everyone around you is constantly encouraging you, and you just feel like, ah, I have just so many wonderful people who are just pouring into my life. Unless you're that way, then you need to be refilled. You need to be refueled like all of us. You need to be renewed in the, the Lord. And he's really the only one that can fill us up. And so as we direct our thoughts and our minds and our hearts towards God, not only does it awaken us to God, it fills us up in the Lord, you see. And all of that draining and depletion that you and I go through throughout the week, then we can, can leave filled up with the Lord, his presence, his power, his goodness, his grace, and all of it, you see. So he says, it is fitting to thank the Lord. Do we stop? Do we pause long enough in our days, our weeks, our months to be thankful, to be grateful to appreciate God and what he's done for us. You know, we live in a very ungrateful world. <laughs> we live in a world where there are many that feel like they're entitled to everything that they get and more. And we don't live in a world of content with the things that we have, but we're always looking for that next thing that will fulfill and satisfy us. And we understand from the wisdom of God that there are no things, no material things, no physical things that can truly fulfill and satisfy because we're looking for something to fulfill and satisfy our spirit. And the only thing that can satisfy that is God. Is God. And then he says, we should sing praises to your name, O Sovereign One. Now, a couple other things about verse 1. You'll notice even in the names of God that the psalmist uses that he wants us to remind us something about our God that should encourage and inspire worship. First of all, in verse 1, he calls the Lord, the Lord, and it's not capital L, small o-r-d, which is the Hebrew Adonai, 
No, this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is the covenant name of God in the Old Testament. It is Jehovah. It is Yahweh. Why does that inspire worship? Because he's not only the self-existent eternal God, he's the God who wants to be near and close to us as his people. Again, as we sung about, as Nicole reminded us about, he wants us to come into his presence. How many human beings who are nothing compared to God do not want us in their presence? Maybe we don't even want them in our presence. But God, a holy, perfect, righteous God, loves us so much, he desires us to be with him. And he's made every provision in his plan and his will by, again, sending his very own son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and so that any obstacle or barrier between us and God could, could be done away with so we could get as close to God as possible. God did all that because he is the Jehovah God. He's the God who is, yes, self-existent and eternal, but he's also the God who wants to be face-to-face -face with his people. Amen. And that's something that should inspire our worship. Second, notice in verse 1, he calls the Lord, O Sovereign One, O Lord of hosts, the one who has everything that he created at his disposal the one who is the highest, the one who is most high. In fact, you'll see that translation of this Hebrew word for God, the most high God. That's why the angels, when they came to even announce the birth of Christ, said glory to God in the what? The highest, you see. He does occupy the highest place, but as God, in the character and nature of God that he is, he always stoops and condescends to our level because he wants to meet each of us where we are so that he can come into our life and have a relationship with us, so that he can show us that he loves us, that he wants to care for us and provide for us and protect us and be our all in all. So the one who again occupies the highest place in the universe is willing to come down. And he's here right now, folks, right in this auditorium. The, the, the most high God, the highest one, is here meeting with us even today. Glory to God in the highest. Verse 2, then, it is fitting or it is good to proclaim or make known your loyal love in the morning and really your faithfulness during even the night. All day long, God, there's reasons to proclaim and make you known. And that's why our relationship with God as a worshiper can't be that I just keep my love, my adoration, my blessing, and all of that to God to myself. No, God says, I want to call my people together so that you can make it known, so that you can declare it, so that you can live out loud, so that other Christians can hear what you are believing and what you're singing, and they can be encouraged, and so that those that don't believe in me can hear the faith that you have and your confession and your testimony of who your God is, and maybe it will draw them in to want to have an interest in having a relationship with me as well when, when they hear my people proclaim who I am and what I mean to them. Notice again the importance of instruments. Verse 3, 
to the accompaniment of the ten-stringed instrument and the lyre to the accompaniment of the meditative tone of the harp. God has always desired that his people not only worship him with our voices, but we worship him with instruments. That's God's desire. In fact, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to hear voices, even including our own, that we can't even recognize. And I think we're going to hear instruments when we get to heaven that we have no idea what they look like or what they sound like. God is a very creative God, right? He's got such an imagination. I mean, look around you. Look at the animal kingdom. I was watching a show last night on animals, and I turned to my family, and I said, what was God thinking when he created such a thing? You know? And yet it just shows how creative and imaginative God is. And God put that in us, too. That's why God wants us to be creative and imaginative even in how we worship him. And, and, and not that there's anything, again, wrong with singing, you know, older songs and songs that's been around for a while, but God wants to keep our worship as his people always fresh and new so that God doesn't mind there always being new songs being written about him. New praise songs, new worship songs, and we should embrace them just as readily as we embrace the old because God never wants our worship of him to stagnate and get very traditional and get very set in its ways, but to always be something that we are experiencing in a fresh and new way. Even the verses that we base the Oasis Church on out of Isaiah 43, what does God say to his people there? Behold, I'm getting ready to do what? Something new something new. And then verse 4, for you, O Lord, have made me happy or glad by your work. Well, that means that I, I need to be in tune with what God's doing. Otherwise, I can't really be glad or happy if I'm totally oblivious to what God is doing and how he's moving and how he's working around me or in me. And then the psalmist says, I will sing for joy because of what you have done. Well, again, if we don't really know what God has done in our life or in the lives of others or what he's doing in the world and all of that, if we're oblivious to that, how can we truly then bring him praise and worship if we're not in tune with the working and, and the activity of God at all times? One other thing before we move on to how worship grounds us. Notice the phrase in verse 4, sing for joy. This means resounding praise. Is there a time to worship and praise God silently or, or quietly? Absolutely. But there's also a time where God says, I want you to lift it up and let it go. I want you to be loud for me. And that's what these words sing for joy. These words were used in Bible times and they were reserved for very special events. Uh, this kind of emotion, if you will, was reserved for the birth of a baby. It was reserved for those who witnessed a miracle. It was reserved for those that, that had been uh, on the good side of a great military victory where they had won a great victory. I mean, 
There's a lot of emotion and passion in these words. And God is saying, if you're really in touch with me and you're relating with me and you're engaging with me and encountering with me, shouldn't there be some passion and zeal and enthusiasm? Absolutely, there should be. Absolutely. In fact, let me say this. There are so many today that say that, you know, God or especially church. Well, I don't, I don't go to church regularly. I, ch church is boring for me. Church is irrelevant nowadays. And my thing is then you or the people that you're going to church with or as a Christian, whatever, then we're doing something wrong. Because every time people encountered God in the Bible, it was anything but boring and irrelevant. And if you and I are doing worship right and we're doing our relationship with God right, there will never be a moment of our walk with God that is boring or irrelevant. When you and I encounter God, there is nothing more exciting and, and thrilling and, and uh, you know, that just gives us a, a sense of, of purpose and energy and vitality and all of that when you and I are engaged in encountering the Most High God. So that's why worship's good for us. But let's move on. Worship is also, it grounds us. What do I mean by that? Well, it gives us that solid foundation, that stability, because so easily, even as followers of God, we can start looking around at our own circumstances or even what's going on in the world, and we can begin to think that either God doesn't exist, that God's not on his throne, that God really doesn't know what he's doing, Somehow God's slipping, you know, those kind of things. And worship recalibrates our souls. It, it readjusts our focus. So notice what he says beginning in verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord. There again, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, Yahweh. Your plans are very intricate or literally profound. God, if I'm not worshiping you and I'm not aligned with you and I'm not in tune with you, I'm going to miss what you're doing. Because God, a lot of times what you're doing, it takes supernatural insight from you. It, it takes great perception and discernment. And if I don't have your perspective on life and on the world and on my life and all of these things, I can start to get very skewed in my thinking. I can become very disillusioned and discouraged and, and slip into despair and, and depression and all of that if I don't ground myself in the worship of you and realize, God, that you've got me, you've got this world, you've got this situation, you've got this circumstance you've got this purpose God and, and and I can't just look at things from my perspective of what I can see because as we've said over and over again throughout our years at the Oasis every one of our lives and every one of everyone else's life is like an iceberg all that we see is that little bit that we, they allow to stick out above the surface. There's so much other stuff in people's lives, including our own, that's going on below the surface. And if we start trying to play God or be God and think that we know everything that's going on simply by only being able to look at that little piece of everybody's life that's sticking up that we can see, we're missing the majority of what's going on. And that's why God says, you better be in tune with me 
and you better live a life of faith and you better walk by faith and not by sight. Otherwise, you will think that I'm absent, that I'm disinterested, that I'm not around, that I'm not in control, that I don't know what I'm doing because you're just simply looking at a small little piece of the total pie and you and I cannot take in everything that's going on behind the scenes and everything that God is doing. We should know that especially nowadays as Americans. Let me ask you a question, seriously, folks. What you are able to gather from what the media gives us, do you think that's all that's going on? I hope not. I hope you don't just think, well, what we're hearing is that that's all there is that's going on. That's like several weeks ago, there was some guests on a, on a show and they had just got done doing a documentary film on the spiritual revival taking place in Iran. Did you hear about that? In fact, they're coming out with this film. So many people in Iran are turning to Jesus Christ as their Messiah and as their Lord. You'll never hear about that. But you know what? When we get to glory one day and we're in heaven, we're going to see all these souls. And you and I in America, we can begin to think, man, you know, the darkness is going over the face of the world and where's God? And I'll tell you, God is having a revival in certain places. Maybe not America, but in places like China and places like Iran and places like that where people are really hungry and they don't even care if they die for their faith. That's where the worship of God is taking place. And we've gotten way too complacent and way too comfortable and way too soft in many ways in America to really experience God because we've allowed ourselves to be satisfied with the crumbs of the world rather than sitting at the king's table and feasting from him every day. Amen. So let's go back to worship grounding us. He says in verse 6, the spiritually insensitive... Do not recognize this. You see, when you and I are insensitive to God, by the way, this speaks about one who is just unresponsive to God. And that's why worship is so important, because worship is learning to be responsive to God. God moves, I respond. God says, I respond. God does, I respond. It is learning to just be a responder to God all the time I'm responding that's what worship is whether it's in song with instruments or whether it's just in obedience whatever it is worship at its core basic level is I'm responding to whatever God you're doing and the tragedy is that human beings from day one have even been in the very presence of God and been totally unmoved or unresponsive. I mean, think about all the people that encountered Jesus Christ while he was on earth, the Son of God. Many of them walked with him every day and yet were unmoved, had no response. So, you know, people can say, well, if God just came down, if, if he just did miracles, if he just manifested his power, he already did, and they didn't respond. Amen. In fact, you know what they did? Oh, they responded all right. They nailed him to a cross. That's how they responded to Jesus Christ, you see. And you and I, 
Here's the warning for us. We can be even in a church like the Oasis where God is manifesting his presence and where he meets with his people. And yet we can come here every week and we can leave the same person that we walked in because we can come in with sort of that shell around us and say, God, I don't care what I'm experiencing. Nope, nope. No, 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 no. I'm not going to listen, God. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to respond. I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to walk out and I'm going to be the same person that I was when I walked in because I don't want what you're offering me, God. I want to do life my way. And when you and I as human beings, when we encounter even the presence of God with that attitude, because God is a perfect gentleman, he will not force his way into any of our lives. If that's the attitude we come with, then God says, fine, you do it your way. But for those of us that want to experience God and encounter him, he says, come on, <laughs> you keep coming. Draw close, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That's the blessing of worship, and that's how it grounds us. Because notice what he goes on to say. The spiritually insensitive do not recognize this. The fool does not understand this. The fool in the Bible is not somebody who's dumb or stupid. It's somebody, again, who just is willful. Somebody who, in spite of all that's going on, just will not budge. When the wicked sprout up like grass and all the evildoers glisten, it is so that they may be annihilated, literally humbled or brought down. But you, O oh Lord, reign forever. And this is why I say that worship grounds us, because you and I can look out at the world, and we can look at the prosperity of the wicked and those that are doing evil, and we can say, God, where are you? But when we worship the Lord, we realize, oh, wait a minute, he's on his throne. <laughs> he's in control. He hasn't went anywhere. And even though they may sprout up for a time, they're also going to come down awful fast. Amen. And that's why he says in verse 9, Indeed, look at your enemies, O Lord. Indeed, look at how your enemies vanish or perish. All the evildoers are scattered or dispersed. You exalt my horn like that of a wild ox. He's simply saying, God, you make us powerful and prosperous as your people, and you cover us with fresh oil. This signifies divine care and provision from the Lord. But then he says this, and I know it doesn't sound good, but all the psalmist is saying in verse 11 is, God, I know one day I will be there to witness the downfall of those who are opposed to you, and I will witness our vindication as your people. That's what he's saying in verse 11. I gloat in triumph over those who tried to ambush me. I hear the defeated cries of the evil foes who attacked me. In other words, he's simply saying, God, I realize one day I'll witness their fall because I know they're going to fall. Because if they're not on your side, God, you win and they don't. But I also know that one day, God, I'm going to witness my vindication. And that's what grounds us, folks. That's why Paul even said to the Romans in Romans 12, he says, as Christians, do not avenge yourselves, but give place to God's wrath. Realize that God will vindicate you one day. You and I shouldn't be looking for justice here. I mean, in one sense, yes, because God set up governments to bring justice to, to each and every person people, group, and country. But if our hope is in the justice system of our country or any other country, we're going to be sadly disappointed. Our justice comes from God. Amen. 
And one day God is going to vindicate himself and his people and his way. And all those who oppose him will be brought down. They will be humbled. They will be brought low. Those who are on their high horse now and who are lifted up in pride and who feel like they've got all the power, one day they will be brought down by the Most High God. And God says that's what should ground us. That's why Paul goes on to say, don't avenge yourselves, but give place to God's wrath. If your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink and heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Well, the only way you and I live that way is if we are worshiping a God that grounds us to where we know I'm not looking to get everything righted right now. I realize that everything is in the very capable hands of the most high God of the universe, and he's going to make sure that one day our faith in him is vindicated and rewarded, and for those that totally oppose him and will continue to oppose him, they will be brought down and lose everything that they've ever lived for. And then finally, he says in verses 12 through 15, Worship not only is good for us, worship not only grounds us, worship grows us. Notice what he says, verse 12. I love this. And this is another reason why I love calling our church the oasis, because one of the symbols of an oasis is a palm tree. And notice what he says. The godly grow like a what? A palm tree. Why does he compare the godly and their growth to a palm tree? I'll give you four. First of all, longevity. Palm trees last a long time, hundreds and hundreds of years. Most of them last. Second, their strength. Palm trees are incredibly strong, even though they're very thin. You would think, oh my goodness, but no, no. Their longevity, their strength, um, their benefit. Everything from the crown of a palm down to the bottom of it, to its bark, can be used. Its oil, uh, the palm fronds, the fruit from the palm. There's almost nothing on a palm tree that doesn't benefit or profit in some way. That's another way that the godly can be like a palm tree. Oh, there was another one that I can't think of right now, but that's okay. Go home and research all the things about the palm tree. They also grow high like a cedar in Lebanon. Well, if palm trees last for hundreds of years, guess how long cedars last for? Thousands. In other words, he's saying, look, there's a sustainability, there's an endurance, there's a perseverance that comes for growing in the Lord. And when you and I become worshipers of God, we can grow like palm trees. Oh, I knew, I knew what the other one was. I don't know how I missed this. Beautiful. Palm trees, longevity, strength, benefit or profitability, and beauty. They're beautiful. And God says, my people are beautiful to me. And, and I want to grow them like palm trees so that they will be attractive and draw people to me by the life and by their fruit and by their shade that they give off every day, if you will by their refreshing. Thank you, God. But then don't miss this, verse 13. Planted in the Lord's house, 
They grow in the courts of our God. Literally in the Hebrew, verse 13 is being planted in the Lord's house. And the reason I want to point that out is part of the reason why many followers of God are not growing today is because they never allow themselves to be planted in any of God's houses. They're not faithful enough to the house of God to really say, I'm planted here, that this is my house, that this is my church, that this is where I grow, this is where I learn, this is where I worship God with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Being planted, putting roots down deep, because since I've moved to the valley 15 years ago, one of the things I've seen out here that I didn't ever saw back east where I'm from is that people constantly are on the move from one church to another. And they never allow themselves. I'm like, find a church and let God plant you there. And I'm not saying it has to be the Oasis Church because obviously we're not the only good church around, but find yourself a church that worships the true God and that preaches his word and let God plant you there. That's how we grow. Sorry. (laughs) And then I love this, especially as each year goes by and I get a little older You know, one of the great things about being a Christian, unlike people in the world, people in the world, whether it's through their careers or what, they get to a place where they sort of hit a ceiling and and, and in a sense what, you know, the best years are behind them type of thing. You know, I especially think of that like with athletes and stuff. It's like, you know, they can't do what they used to do as they get older and stuff. So they're always like pining over what used to be. See, the great thing about walking with God is our best years and our best days can always be ahead of us no matter how long we've walked with God and how old we are. Because notice what he says. When you and I allow ourselves to to be grown through worship of God and we allow God to plant us in his house and grow in his courts, we can bear fruit even when we are old. In other words, we can be flourishing and prospering like the palm tree or like the cedar in Lebanon. In fact, he says, we can be filled with vitality and have many leaves even when we're old. I love that. Yeah. Isn't that encouraging? That means I can grow up to the final breath of my life and I can go out, as we've said around here, with my boots on. That's why I, I just, I'll be honest, I don't like the whole idea of retiring, at least as far as most Americans view retirement. I think there's so much that, that our elder saints, and I'm going to throw myself in there, because can I tell you, I've got to tell you a funny story. I know I'm running over here. I called my wife the other day. It was Wednesday. Wednesday is the, the day for our local coffee shop out in Gold Canyon to have the senior discount. <laughs> I walked in on Wednesday and said, sir, senior discount? I said, yes. I said, finally, it pays off to be a certain age, you know. But... Here's the thing. When you and I let God grow us, even when we are seniors, even when we're going into our our last decades on earth, 
we can actually be the leaders rather than letting the young people always do it. Because notice something here. Who should be, in a sense, leading in the church the worship of God? Don't let that up to the young people, which is what many churches and, and many Christians do. Oh, that, that's the young people's job. No, no, no. Now, see, to me, there's something special about us who are older. Who I mean, I've walked with God for over 50 years now. It's like, don't we have something to say to the younger generation about all the years that we've walked with God? Because we've seen through the long haul how faithful and how trustworthy, how dependable, how reliable God is. If anybody has a testimony over the long haul of how great our God is, how good he is, how gracious he is, it is those of us who've walked with him for decades upon decades. And who can say to the younger generation, you worship our God and you come along with me and you join me in worshiping my God because my God has been with me from the day that I accepted Jesus as my Savior and he's never turned his back on me. He's always been faithful to me. He's always been true to me. And if anybody has something to worship, it is the saints of God who've been with, walking with God for many, many, many years. Amen? Yeah. And that's why I love in this church that we have young people and we have those in middle age, but we also have those who are maybe a little bit older who have that heart and desire to want to worship the Lord too because that's the way it should be. We should never get to an age or a point in our life where somehow we leave the worship of God over to those younger. No, no. It is a privilege for any of us to be able to worship the Lord. And especially those of us who've walked with God longer, we even have more to worship him about. Amen? Amen. So he says then, so they, verse 15, proclaim. Who's they? Those who are old. <laughs> they proclaim that the Lord is my protector. He's my rock. He's my refuge. And he's always been just and he's never been unfair. What a testimony. How do we get that? How do we capture that? We do it through worship. We do it because worship is good for us, because worship grounds us, because worship grows us. And I just want to invite all of us now. We're going to have the opportunity to worship the Lord. And I want us to go back to that phrase from verse 4, to sing for joy resounding praise, to lift up every voice and let's give the Lord our God, the Most High God, the praise that he deserves. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for being such a great, good, awesome God. You are more than we could ever imagine. You've blessed us more than we ever deserve, God. You've called us your children. You've provided everything we've ever needed. You're our constant protection. And God, you fill us and satisfy us like nothing else or no one else can. And God, you've brought us to your house today to worship you. And I pray, God, that in these moments that we have left, that we will sing for joy. Because, God, we have a lot to sing for joy about. May we not allow others or our circumstances to rob us of our joy. 
But may, may we, Lord, experience the fullness of joy that comes through worshiping you. God, maybe we came here this morning in a little bit of a cloud. Maybe the world depleted us this past week. Maybe, our, maybe we got our eyes off of you. But God, we are so thankful that we had the opportunity to come to your house, to be awakened to you, God, once again. To allow you to fill us, God, like you can only do. And I pray, God, that we will shout our praises to you as your people. Because you deserve the very best that we can offer you this morning. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.